If you're just joining us this morning, we're continuing on in a series that we've been looking at in regards to the person of the Holy Spirit and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how that actually then kind of plays out in real time. And, um, and so we had some of that going on this morning, actually, which was really wonderful after worship. As we poured out our affections on God through worship, we then just waited for the Spirit to come and rest on us and begin to grace us with his gifts. And there was some picture words. There was some prophetic kind of directional kind of invitation from the Holy Spirit. There was also some tongues released that were articulating to God the heart of God. And, um, and this is good. This is what we want. And we want this more and more. And um, this morning, what I want us to do is uh, spend a little bit of time looking at, you know, what do you actually do uh, on two, we're going to take two tangents here. The first is a personal tangent and the second is a corporate tangent. So on the personal one, what do you actually do when someone comes up to you um, and says, hey, I think God's telling, telling me this and he wants you to know thus and so? And they start to prophesy to you. Um, this picture word that Peter had this morning, that was a corporate picture for us gathered. So it was for everybody, and which was um, about the, you know, the provisions of God were like snowflakes just washing over the, the church here and the people within and with that a sense of resource that was being released, that was coming with that. I mean, what do we do with that? What do you do with that? What do you, how much of that was God? How much of that was Peter? How much of that is, um, you know, and, and how do we respond to that? Um, what do you do when someone comes up to you in ministry time and starts prophesying to you and says, hey, God, God is saying this and this, this and so to you? Um, how do you, do you just leave it there? <laughs> and I think a lot of the time we do because we don't know how to engage with it. And, and that's a real shame. Because this is the gift and work and encouragement of God to actually build you up and me, me up and us up in our most holy faith. I think we've got to understand that our faith is actually a holy faith, even as the book of Jude tells us that we looked at last weekend. It's not just some sort of ad hoc faith. It's holy because it's born from a holy God who has who has invaded our life with his kingdom through Jesus. And therefore, the faith that we have is a holy faith. God sees it as precious, dear, holy, and, and completely otherly than, um, than the things of this world. So um, I, just to give you a little bit of background for me, um, you know, when I, I can still, in the encounter when I first gave my life to Jesus, um, I can remember that as I had um, welcomed his forgiveness in my life and I thanked him for the reality of Jesus reconciling me to the Father again, I, as I was going through this and I was, I was being born into his kingdom, into his rule and reign, out from underneath the rule and reign of the kingdom of darkness and into the rule and reign of God through Jesus, as I was going through that, I can remember very distinctly um, a very soft, softly spoken person in the room. And they, um, I, I 
I knew I knew of the person. I didn't particularly know the person, like as in we were good buddies or anything like that. Um, but I knew them, and I knew that they loved God, and I knew that they were in that room praying with me and for me because they had a heart to see me come into God's kingdom. And as I was going through all of this, I hear these words that were being spoken by this soft-voiced person. And the words they said to me were these, you will speak with kings, princes, and leaders of nations. And I'm like, you know, all of 19 going on 20, going, yeah, (laughs) okay. All I knew was that Jesus was getting a hold of my life. That was what was really going on for me. But this quietly, softly spoken person said those words. Now, that's great, but what do you do with that? Or what did I do with that? Um, Was that you, God, or was that just a nice person wanting to be nice to me and encourage me along the way? What do I do with that? Um, And so I, I sort of parked that experience on the shelf of my kingdom life and just said, well, God, if that's you, um, that's great. I mean, I, t- I sort of talk just like I'm talking to you like I do with God. I don't put on many airs and graces. I just, I just I said, you know, if, if that's you, that's great. Um, I'm going to leave that with you. you got to make it happen. And when you want to do that, just let me know. You know, that was kind of my, that was kind of my best response to God in the moment. Um, but... Um, so that kind of happened for me personally, and it wasn't until many years later, like many, many years later, I actually found myself in a um, dinner meeting context at a dinner table on the, on, the, um, on the border between two nations, between an access-restricted nation and an open nation to the, to the gospel. And as, as I was at this dinner table, I had no idea who I was at the dinner table with. And, and it wasn't until my hosts who had invited me to this dinner actually told me who I was sitting in the room with. And these, these guys were leaders of, um, I guess the best way you could describe it is um, like guerrilla um, armies fighting for the freedom of their people in access-restricted situations. And so here I am having dinner with these guys and getting to pray with these guys for their healing and their encouragement and their pursuit of Jesus and the freedom for their people. Um, And then another situation, I found myself deep inside an access-restricted country. They took my passport off me. I kind of disappeared off the radar for a couple of weeks. I was on my own and... um, here I am having, a, uh, again, it was at, at this evening meal. This is a completely different situation than the first one. And I'm, all of a sudden, these very official cars arrive at the venue. And all of a sudden, out come these very important dressed people. And as, as they came and entered the room, everyone made room for them. And then they sat them at the dinner table that I was at. And so I was there with, it was probably maybe about 15 or 16 of us around this dinner table. And um, 
you know, they were speaking in their, their um, indigenous language, but then all of a sudden the person who obviously had the highest authority in the room, who wore the uniform, uh, literally, um, spoke to me in beautiful English and said, what does the church have to offer this nation? And so I can't remember what I said. I, I put something out there. And I just put it out there and then that was my sort of five seconds of, you know, fame with the author, whoever that person was. I'm kind of using a lot of code language here. <laughs> um, and because this stuff gets recorded and goes up on the net. So, um, and, and they then turned to their other peoples and began to, you know, just continue dinner table conversation. Um, I didn't realise till afterwards that I was told by my hosts, again, that these people were the heads of very, very big armies and um, had controlling interests over complete nations. And I'm like, wow. And it wasn't until I'd kind of gone through that that I went, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. I just, I just lived a moment of fulfilled prophet prophecy. It was like this got spoken over me many, many years ago and then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, I find myself in this outworking of the heart of God for my life that was spoken to me many years earlier. I couldn't have, I couldn't have orchestrated that. I couldn't have made, and I still can't orchestrate things. I still can't make things happen. But somehow the heart of God, when declared over my life, helped my life as, as I cooperated with God and the whole work of the Holy Spirit, my life has found itself in these settings and contexts and conversations where I find my life is a fulfillment of the prophetic words that God has spoken over me. Um, so there's some of the personal experiences I've had. Um, I also remember early on in the piece just some corporate kind of experiences of... of um, prophecies coming to uh, at work and one of the first ones I remember seeing was uh, it was in about 89.90 in Sydney and I was at a vineyard conference at the Horden Pavilion and at the time there was Wimber and all of the crew were there and John White and others and um, um, anyway a whole, a whole bunch of other folk there and one of the guys that was there was um, Paul Kane. many of you have maybe heard of Paul Kane through the years and over the years as a as like a prophet Someone hears God and sort of says, hey, God's going to do this. And wouldn't you know it? God doesn't do, goes and does that stuff. And, um, well, anyway, he, he kind of st stepped up on the stage. And um, he this crowd of about 5,000 people there. And, and he picks this guy. And he says to this guy, could you please stand up? And so this guy stands up. And I was sitting... I was kind of, at this stage, I didn't know really how to engage with what was going on. So my first response was, which was interesting, was conviction of sin. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians, is that when the prophetic starts to move, conviction be begins to come for the sinner. And so I was kind of like sort of ducking a little more, hoping that the guy on the stage wouldn't go, hey, you over there, <laughs> you know, because I didn't, and at the same time, that told me, well, it tells you a lot about how I didn't understand the heart of God for my life at that time. 
I had a wrong grid and a wrong understanding of who the Father was through Jesus for me. And um, so anyway, he points to this guy. This guy stands up and he says, as best as I can remember, I, I kind of was reflecting on the memory of it. Anyway, he said something to this effect. He said, now, I, the weird thing was this guy that he picked out, I, I knew of him. I didn't know him, but I knew of him sort of second or third person away sort of distance of relationship. And anyway, so Paul Cain says to this guy, I see the Lord showing me an eyeball and I'm taken by the colour of this eyeball and the colour of the eyeball is hazel. And at this, the man starts to just like come under the, 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 the dynamic power and presence of God breaking in on him as Paul was kind of saying what he was seeing. And as he was doing that, he's, this man's coming under the power of God. And then he says, I see the color of the eyeball is hazel. In fact, hazel is your wife's name. Now, I knew that that was true. I knew that that was true. And then he says, and the Lord wants you to know that she entered my presence in a blaze of glory. And to that point, he was still in this um, grip of grief over his life that he'd lost his wife of many, many years and that she'd gone on to be with the Lord, but he was still stuck in his grief. And yet Paul just sort of stands on stage and says, Hey, you, um, whatever your name is, can you just stand up? I see this. I see this color of an eyeball. It's Hazel. In fact, Hazel, that's the name of your wife. And the Lord wants you to know that she came into his presence in a blaze of glory. And at that, this guy just fell into his seat and just wailed and wept. With It was like a, like a complete release of like emotional like, yes, thank you, and tears. And it was just so gripping. I was sitting in the back of the room going, oh, my gosh. And at the same time, I was like, I want to do that. Oh my gosh, and I want to do that. Well, this, uh, this, this I believe, I, is, is something that we all get to do, this ministry of prophecy. And, and I will unpack it in fuller dynamics in weeks to come. But what I want to do today is I want to give you some infrastructure and a toolkit to be able to know what to do when you do receive prophecy. Okay? And then um, hopefully that'll help in the order of things, help you feel equipped as, as prophetic words come towards you from the heart of God. Alrighty, let me just quickly go here through these. Um, uh, I think I'm up on the screen there. Yep, okay, so here at the vineyard, again, that's the big picture. That's who we are. We, we do all of this. This is the big picture of who we are. We, we love the Bible, taught us the Word of God. We, we love the uh, a ministry to the poor and the broken. We love to evangelize in all contexts, in all ways, and at every level. We have a strong emphasis on healing signs and wonders. We love doing kinship group life, small group life, to disciple each other and care for each other and to empower each other uh, through um, opportunities of, of moving in the Spirit. We, we love to effectively train and equip people for the work of ministry. Uh, we love to engage with other churches. We love good, meaningful worship. We love the, the encouragement of spiritual gifts and we love missional work, um, in, particularly in the form of church planting across the world. 
So that's the big picture of who you are, and this is where it fits, okay? So you've got to hold that in the, in the picture. And so now today, um, okay, so there's all the lists of the Spirit. Today we're sort of touching on prophecy, and the other one that runs alongside this is actually discerning of spirits, but I, I, I'll touch on that in, on another time. If you've got your Bible, remember again, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 and 7. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Okay, so Paul, now again, remember, he's writing to a church that's moving with a lot of spiritual power and dynamics. They're all tongue-speaking, prophesying. They're all going for it. And yet Paul says, you guys are ignorant. You're ignorant. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? They're moving in it all, but they're ignorant. In other words, they didn't have a healthy pastoral framework to understand how this can really be life-giving for the people um, receiving the gifts and the people operating in the gifts. And the other thing that Paul really punches in on, on verse 7 there is, hey, this isn't about you, but it is through you for the well-being of others, for the common good. So the gifts of the Spirit are not trophies. They're not, hey, look at me, I'm more mature because I'm manifesting this gift right now. It's got nothing to do with any of that. This is completely about the wonderful dynamic of the Holy Spirit coming and touching and gracing and empowering people to be um, the Father's love to others through the giftings of the Spirit. It's a very dynamic experience. So, um, let me, you know, so prophecy, just quickly there, uh, a, a quick working definition. Prophecy is declaring the heart throb of God to his church for the purpose of edification. I like that. That's really good language. It's declaring the heart throb of God. And it, isn't it interesting this morning that in the mix of tongues and interpretations and prophetic words, there was all of this heart stuff going on. And even as like Roxanne was starting to talk, her was so the, was so strong on her heart. She started, you know, physio- physiologically, she, emotionally, she's responding to the whole thing. It's the heart throb of God. So when God gets a hold of you and 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 comes over you with the power of His heart, it's a dynamic, powerful experience, and that's what we're seeing. So when people start speaking in tongues or prophesying, they often experience this overwhelming reality that takes a hold of them and grips them. Um, And this is the other thing. Prophecy, it's not a skill. It's not an aptitude and it's not a talent. It's not a skill. It's not an aptitude. It's not a talent. It's actually speaking forth of the words given by the Holy Spirit in a particular situation and ceases when the words cease. Another um, understanding of it is speaking in your everyday language um, the heart of God to another. That's kind of prophecy in its simplest uh, working definition. Okay. Um, quickly here. Uh, now, Paul... Hang on, let me go back one. Oh, no, no, that was right. So Paul, if you... has two exhortations to the church, to two different churches... One is to the Corinthians, which we've been looking at, and the second is to the Thessalonians that I want to pick up on this morning. Now, we've spent a lot of time, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 of follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, 
the way Paul writes this, I think I've told you this, he's not saying do this if you feel like it at, on the end of it. Okay, It's like follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, if you feel like it or if you're up for it today or anything like that. It's an, it's an exhortation from Paul. It's actually like a commander standing in front of an army and saying, march. And the whole army just on that order begins to march. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's got that kind of directive in the exhortation, in the way the language is written. And same here when he writes to the Thessalonians. He writes an exhortation. He says to the Thessalonians, do not put out... In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire and do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything, hold on to the good, and avoid every kind of evil. So this morning, let's just quickly go to that first one about desire. When he says desire spiritual gifts, especially this gift of prophecy. This working of the Holy Spirit... um, flows very powerfully in this context of ze- ze- of being zealous or desiring to have. Um, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've just wanted something so bad that you would do whatever it took to get a hold of that thing or that context or that relationship or that whatever it was? I mean, to sim- give you a simple picture of it, I remember when I was about... 13, I think, I, I wanted a tennis racket so bad, but I had no money for it. And so I hounded my grandparents, I will be at your house every Saturday morning at, I don't know, 7am. And if, if you could pay me $5 to wash your cars and vacuum them, I, w- I would do anything it took to get the money to buy the tennis racket. It was that kind of drive that was going on in me. I had to have the tennis racket. That is desire at when, as it's working. Now, I remember when I met Nick and when she walked in the front door of my house at my 21st birthday party and all of a sudden the whole world slowed down. Now I can talk about it because she's in with the children this morning. But the whole world slowed down and I started to hear songs and sort of see things and <laughs> and that was all going for me. You know what I did? I, I just was like, She's the one. I got to have her. And you know how that manifested? I, I started washing and vacuuming my car. I would do anything that I could to have relationship with Nicole. It's that kind of zeal that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about as the Spirit comes upon you and as you give yourself, like you bring who you are to that encounter of the Holy Spirit that there's a, there's a pursuit going on here of God, a bit like I was pursuing the tennis racket or pursuing Nicole. It's this giving yourself to the pursuit and doing anything that you could to have that. And Paul's saying this is what it's like when the context of the love of God is at work in, its, in a culture of kingdom people. In the hotbed of that context of God's love, desire is a very healthy and right experience for the follower of Jesus. 
to pursue the things of the Holy Spirit, especially this gifting called prophecy. Um, so why? Why is it so important to pursue this? Well, 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, Everyone who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their comfort. So note, note the mechanics of all of that. As the Spirit invites us, we, we zealously pursue connectivity with him. And in the context of that, he releases his gifting, not for our, not for our good, but for the strengthening, the encouragement, and the comfort of those around us. It's, very, it, 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 it's a selfless activity. And yet in the process, we are personally edified. We are personally encouraged and built up in our most holy faith. It's a weird dynamic. Um, and I think that in this hour, particularly, the church of Jesus needs to posture itself again and pursue this gift in particular. In particular. Let me just give you a quick reason why. This is just one, one reason why, seeing as we're living in a global world now, a global village. Um, Charisma News put out last night online this news about persecution laws that are being established in Russia. Russian president, now I'm quoting Charisma News, and I, and I have to say I haven't gone any further in terms of my investigation to validate this, okay? So, but let's just assume that this is a correct report, okay? You, you, you can do some more homework on it. But Russian President Vladimir Putin signed an anti-terrorism law for the country's many churches, and the signature sparked a demand for prayer and fasting. The bill toughens punishment for acts deemed to be terrorism and for the organization of mass unrest. According to the LA Times, um, it would also introduce prison sentences for up to a year for those who fail to report such crimes. Furthermore, um, uh, Great Commission's Ministry Chairman Hani Hooker, I can't pronounce his name, tells Charisma News that the law entails this. Foreign guests are not permitted to speak in churches unless they have a work permit from the Russian authorities. If a friend or a relative from outside Russia wishes to share his or her faith in your home, the guest will be fined and expelled from Russia. Any discussion of God with non-believers is considered missionary activity and will be punishable. Missionary activity will be permitted by special government permission. Example, if one is travelling on a train and shares his faith without written permission, the offender will be taken into police custody for the duration of the journey and will be fined 50,000 rubles, which is about $1,000. Um, offenders from the age of 14 will be subject to prosecution. Religious activity is no longer permitted in private homes. Most churches in Russia meet in homes. Every Christian is obligated to report religious activity of their neighbours to their authorities and failure to be an informant will be punishable by law. One may pray, read the Bible at home, but not in the presence of a non-believing person. You'll be breaking the law if you do and you'll be punished. If the church has purchased property, it cannot be converted into a place of worship. If church buildings, if church buildings, it, uh, if church buildings, 
in church buildings, sorry, in church buildings, it is not permitted to invite people to turn to God. Worship services are permitted, but making a non-believer a follower of Christ is against the law. This is happening right now in Russia. If, if ever the church, our brothers and sisters in Russia, need a work of the Spirit, it's this gift right now. The Spirit of prophecy to encourage, to equip, and to comfort the body of Christ. Now, we look at that and we go, wow, that's, you know, what they're going through is a long you know, it's, there's a long gap between where they are and where we are in terms of experience. But don't, don't be so sure on that. There's a lot of dynamics at work in the atmosphere and through the halls of those who wield power and, and have influence, as well as the demonic infrastructure of the, of, of the prince of this air. Um, if, if ever now, now is the time where prophecy needs to be given, like, come on in, Holy Spirit, Equip us, empower us, send us. Let us be the ones who go and speak that word of encouragement. Let us be the ones who will go and bring your word of comfort. Let us be the ones who will go and equip your people. Send us, Holy Spirit. Anoint us, Holy Spirit. It, th- and that's what zeal looks like. That's what zeal looks like. That's why Paul says, hey, you know, and he's writing to a church, even though it's like full on in the things of the Holy Spirit in Corinth, they're also a church that's in a context that's hostile. You know, this, this outbreak of Jesus people in the context of the b- biblical time was not a welcome presence. There was persecution going on everywhere. And Jesus and his people are becoming a non-welcome presence even in our land in many places and spaces and conversations the church the healthy church needs in this hour this prophetic work of the holy spirit like never before desire desire the other word that paul uses in one in uh, one thessalonians 5 is he says test everything Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. And he even says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three speak and the others should weigh carefully what's being said. But before we get to that, do not despise this gift in 1 Thessalonians 5. The other word for that word despise is contempt. Do not have contempt for the work of the Spirit. And... and, we might even say, oh, well, I, I don't have contempt for the work of the Holy Spirit, but passivity is contempt. Your, your choice to be passive, my choice to be passive to the powerful inbreakings of the Spirit upon my life, to choose to ignore it, to shut it off, or to remain passive in response to it, is actually a choice. And Paul is saying, do, you know, he says very clearly, do not. And again, he's as, as like the leader of an army, he's saying, guys, do not do this. And the reason why he's saying do not do this is because the church was doing this. The church was shutting down the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe not necessarily because they were uncomfortable with it, 
But maybe they just thought, ah, you know, been there, done that, seen that, whatever. Or just com- just passivity. It's like, nah, I don't, I don't really need that. Maybe someone who's, who's a little weaker than me might need that. But I, I don't. Be careful about our responses to the work of the Spirit. Um, Paul says, do not have contempt for this work of the Spirit. Churches lose their fire. Um, let me go back and read that, that scripture to you in 1 Corinthians 5. If I can find it here. Nope. Oh, here it is. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecy with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. So this is going on in the church. The fiery work of the Holy Spirit is being doused. It's being shut down. It's being demised. It's being cornered. It's being... I could get by whether I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me or not. It's kind of being treated like that. And, and, and this, Paul says, is contemptuous by nature. Now, there's many reasons why we might do that. We may have been actually manipulated and controlled by someone who just loves power and has like spoken this word over our life and we feel, we feel beholden to that person because they've been operating out of manipulation and control and not the Holy Spirit. And so we get gun-shy. It's like, well, I don't want to go there. Or maybe we've had prophetic words spoken to our life and it's like we've, with, with all um, sincerity, we've given ourselves to walking that out and it's been a difficult road. And we're going, you know what, God, it would have been better if you'd have just not said anything to me and interrupted my life. I know I've been there. Or... It may, um, it may have been that we ourselves, in the, in the understanding and the interpretation of what was being said to us, we actually went ahead and we, we tried to figure it out ourselves without the help of the body, weighing it with us and discerning it with us and caring for us in the process. Um, or maybe we've seen prophecies come towards us through a particular person that we don't like. And so we've negated it and sort of, I'll put that one back to the fence because I really don't like the person who's bringing that to me. There's many reasons why we might do that. But Paul is saying to the church of Jesus, don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. My pastoral encouragement to you, (laughs) please don't do that. Please don't do that. Try and pursue God in all of this, these gifts of his. Weighing and examining these things of God. He says, weigh carefully, test everything, hold on to the good. There's your toolkit right there. It's very, very simple tests. Ask yourself these questions as, as you're listening to this stuff. Is this, is this line up with who the Bible is? talks about our God as or biblical revelation. So if someone comes to you and sort of starts prophesying and starts telling you that you're going to become the fourth member of the new Trinity, which won't be called the Trinity anymore, you'd probably go, well, hang on. 
The Bible says Trinity is a Godhead. So Trinity is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, actually, no, you know what? That's not the Lord. Now, I'm making a big exaggeration here to try and illustrate the point. You've got, you got to listen in light of your biblical understanding and knowledge. That's why read your Bible. Read your Bible. Dig into your Bible so that you can understand the heart and character and ways of God. So that when people are prophesying, you can, you can hear that. You can weigh that. You can go, yeah, that's, it might not be comfortable what I'm hearing and challenging, but that's, that's true and reflective of the revelation of who God is in the Scriptures, in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, so I can say yes to that, even though it may be challenging me and calling me into a new space. Does, does it reflect the character of God? Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't mind upsetting the apple cart. Oh, I only like prophecy when it just, you know, when it fits what I want. <laughs> but in fact, a lot of the time, the Spirit has to come and break in with the kingdom so that our apple cart does get upset so that we can be loosed into the greater things and the works of God. It, 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 it will bring you into that place. Um, does the prophecy fit the context when, when I say that? Like this morning we had a little bit of prophetic utterances going on in here and I, I think two or three times key words were coming through about love. The net of love, fix the net of love. Uh, there was about love, over fixing relationships of love. There was a lot of love going on. Well, you know what? That flows out of the context of the teaching we've been in for the last three weeks about follow the way of love. And so the Spirit is like amplifying that and fanning that and saying, come on, are you hearing? Get on board. That's what the Spirit is doing with us, okay? Um, does the prophecy edify, comfort, encourage? And also, does it convict the sinner? Does it convict the sinner? Um, it's interesting. Uh, and then the last one, bring direction as well. Is, it, is this bringing direction? Is there direction in this? You know, Paul, there's a story in the book of Acts 13 at the church at Antioch where the Holy Spirit came upon them and they prophesied that Paul and Barnabas should go and be sent in the name of Jesus to on to the next assignment. And it, and it says it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Who's us? The people. The people and the Holy Spirit. And so they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them. Gave them direction. So don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit in prophetic, as prophetic activity comes to you, it could be challenging and or affirming your current course of direction. And, and, and sometimes that, that word, as God speaks it to you, it will, it will upset your apple cart because you're thinking you want to go in this direction. And God's saying, hey, I've called you in this hour so that you can be my, my agent on planet Earth to help this context, and I need you to go this way, not that way. Go! And you've got to give yourself to it. I mean, I, I, I've just been watching, just lately even again, people in the context of our church here at Vineyard Pine Rivers who are selling their homes and moving into different um, little suburbs and towns. They're moving around. Why? 
because the Spirit has interrupted their life and said, I need you to move and live there. Now go. And they've sold their home or, you know, packed their boxes and, and off they've gone and found a new home. They've followed the Spirit. And for some of them, that's all they know to do. They don't know what the next part of the assignment is. They just know that's what God's told us we need to do. And they've spent time praying that through with each other. They've applied these, this weighing, this testing, this sense of, is that you, God? And then they've followed and responded. This is a really awesome grace uh, of God. But, but you gotta, I think we've got to understand he's not talking because he likes the sound of his own voice. Well, I think he does, but I don't, I don't think he's doing it to entertain himself. I think God is actually on mission in planet Earth and he's seeking to save the lost and heal the sick and deliver the oppressed and set the prisoners free and feed the poor. And so you're being a part of his people here in this place is that we are being caught up into that greater reality of our life. This is what we've been called for. This is what we've been saved to engage in. And so my encouragement to you is that over the next little while, as, the, as we continue to say, Holy Spirit, fan into flame these gifts of your presence among us, and as God starts speaking to you personally and to us corporately, don't despise it. Actually, give yourself to it. Give yourself to it. So only the other day, I'll just finish with this story. The other day um, was Nicole's last day at her other workplace. And so we're now... You know, we're now transitioning our life into some other sources of vocation and provision, okay? And so what we've counted on for provision for the last couple of years through the work that she's been doing has really helped us get to where we are today. (laughs) But the Lord has said, give that up and I want you to do work for Vineyard Australia and Vineyard Pine Rivers, and so she's doing that now. So we sit down the other day and we open the scriptures and we're reading the Bible and it's the story and it's just my daily reading program thing online and so I just open it up and it's a story where Elijah, the prophet Elijah, he goes to Elisha. Now Elisha, he's just this guy who's busy about um, working the plow in his field and so you can imagine, I don't know, the the bullocks out in front and the and the uh, thing over the top of the bullock's necks. What do you call it? The yoke. And he's on the plough. And he's just ploughing along. I think this is 1 Kings 19, I think. He's ploughing along. And then Elijah comes up to Elisha and he takes his, um, his cloak, which was representative of the ministry of prophecy that was on his life, and he throws it on Elisha. Poor old Elisha. He's just working the line. He's trying to keep the line. He's working the plough. Because you can't take your eyes off those bullocks because they'll mess the whole thing up. So he's working the line, staying focused, and Elijah comes along and throws this thing on him. And all of a sudden, uh, and Elijah realises what he's done. He's like, oh, my gosh, I've ruined this guy's life. This life, guy's life is about to be ruined because I've interrupted it with kingdom agenda. 
And so Elijah starts walking off thinking, I'm just such a terrible man to actually do this to another person, to call them into the kingdom of God and the activity of that. And so he's off walking away and Elisha realises, hey, this has come on me. It belongs to that guy who's walking away from me. And so he drops the plough and he runs up to Elijah and says, hey, I understand you're calling me and what is on you is now on me and we've got to go and do this together. And Elijah goes, no, I, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Go, go back to the plough. Just go, ba- go back to the plough. I've interrupted your life. This is not going to be good for you. And so what Elisha does is he goes home and then the scriptures say he took the yokes off of the uh, bullocks, makes a fireplace out of, the bu- out of the yokes, starts a fire, and then so he's burning the tools of his provision. He's burning the tools of his provision. And then he slaughters. He slaughters the cows. And then he says to everybody in the village, come and eat. Come and eat and enjoy this provision. But he's burning and sacrificing everything. The tools of his provision, because the callings of God has encroached on his life. And he's, there's only one fitting response for this guy. I need, to, I need to burn my trust, sacrifice my dependency from this stuff and onto the callings of God on my life. And so he does that. And the beneficiaries of all of that, I love it, is the whole community. The whole community in which Elisha lived. They all enjoyed the cows. You know, they had a big feast and feed. So his sacrificing benefited the whole community and then he went and followed. So anyway, we're reading this scripture and it was actually the day that Nick finished work for this other place. And we said, oh, okay, Lord, everything's back on the fire again. It's all back on the fire. Everything that we've depended on up to now to get us to where we are, it's back on the fire. We're burning it all. And in doing that, we're saying we're not, we're, we're trusting you because you're calling, you're calling us to follow you. No, Jesus is calling all of us to follow him. The Spirit of God is coming in waves and waves and waves, interrupting our life that we might burn our trust in the things of this earth and follow God for a greater kingdom cause in this earth. Please don't treat that with contempt. But trust God as he calls you into it. So that's how prophecy works. And um, that's how we weigh it and we kind of assess it and we test it and we hang on to the good stuff. And I won't go into it today, but he also says, avoid every kind of evil. So you also got to understand that when someone's talking in prophetic words to you, sometimes they're... I, there's a whole other teaching on this. They're actually not operating in the Spirit of God. <laughs> and I'll, I can unpack that at another time. But for this morning, hang on to the good of the Holy Spirit as he's interrupting our life with the invitations of God to follow him and to live a life for him. Um, I remember, um, it was, I think it was in 2012, as I was catching an aeroplane to Melbourne, 
to go and spend a, a day and a half in a room with about 30 kingdom people, leaders and pastors. And, and, and on, on my way there, I get to the airport and they, you know, we throw the bag in, they give me the ticket and I go upstairs to the waiting departure area. And they give me my, and I, as I get up the stairs, I look at my ticket and it says, Timothy Bishop, row 27B, I think it was. Uh, row 27B. And I'm like, they've given me the wrong darn ticket. I'm not Timothy Bishop, I'm Kirk Delaney. So, so I go to the desk upstairs and I said, hey, listen, you guys have given me the wrong ticket. I'm not, Kirk, I'm not Timothy Bishop, I'm Kirk Delaney. And they're like, oh, we're not sure how that happened, Mr. Delaney. But anyway, well, and they re-ticketed me. But my bag still had the tag on it that was Timothy Bishop. Well, fortunately, Timothy Bishop, whoever he was, and me, we're going to the same place. So anyway, uh, as I get to Melbourne, I pick up my bag and I, I look at my bag. And sure enough, it's got, and it's got Timothy Bishop on it. I'm like, man, that's just crazy. So I go to this meeting and I get into this meeting. And um, uh, we're, we're there and, and Ken was there, Ken Fish, our good friend, Ken Fish was there. And Ken starts talking to people about a few different things. And then he's, you know, they're doing some prophetic work and activity. And Ken turns around and he just looks at me and he says these words. He says, Kirk, you know, I've been looking at you this morning and I just want to say, I keep wanting to call you Bishop Delaney. I'm like, you've got no idea. He said, yeah. I just, and then he unfolded this word to me. And then I said to him afterwards, and I took a photo of my bag tag with Tim- Timothy Bishop on it. I said, here, look at that. Timothy Bishop, that's, how they, that's, that's who the airline thought I was this morning as I got on the plane. And now you're telling me you want to call me Bishop Delaney. Well, anyway, he gave me this prophetic word and there's a whole bunch of unfolded history that's taken place since then with my life. But it was like, what do I do with that? Do I try and ignore it? Do I try and manipulate it to make it fit what I want it to fit or do I just surrender myself to it and so that's what I've tried to do I weighed it yes this is from you Lord I took the time to say yes this is fitting my context I took the time to say yes this is edifying it's not it's not really comfortable but it is encouraging and it was giving my life new direction at the time, I didn't realize it, but it was. God was shifting me into a new tangent. So I want to encourage you guys this morning, weigh, test, hold on to the good. Now, let's wrap this up. What I thought we might do this morning is I want to pray, um, and then we're going to just wait on the Spirit for a few minutes and see if there's some prophetic corporate words, and then we're going to, we're going to together... We're going to weigh. We're going to weigh those words. We're going to hold on to the good that's in those words. Because and one Corinthians twelve talks about how Paul says, you know, we prophesy in part. Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, we prophesy in part, and 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 then in one Corinthians thirteen he says, um, it's like looking into a dim mirror. It's kind of like, yeah, we, we I kind of see what God's saying, and so I'll say what I see, and uh, and it's kind of a bit dim, but there it is, and let God. Um, bring his spirit to that. Uh, so 
why don't we do that for a bit? Let's just wait. Let's pray and then wait on the Spirit and 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 just ask the Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Hey, and it's not not about a word for you. It's about a word for us. It's about a word for us. Okay, for the common good. So we're just going to press into that a little bit this morning. You want to do that? Okay, we've got three people saying yes. All right, let's, you three, come with me. We're going to go there. <laughs> Everyone else can jump in too. All right, so let's just, let's just wait on the, on the Lord. Father, we give you thanks uh, for this very supernatural, dynamic work of your spirit among your people. Thank you that your kingdom is breaking into the earth. That, Father, you are busy at work. Loving people, setting them free to know Jesus. And as the people of Jesus in this place, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit on us now. Holy Spirit, we welcome again just your most precious ministry among us. And we, in this moment, firstly want to say, Lord, would you just forgive us and release us from any and all times where I or we have despised your speaking to us. Just, would you just have mercy and just, just wash, wash that away, Lord. Just wash it away in your kindness and your mercy. And Holy Spirit, would you come again with fresh fire and release new zeal in our spirit? To pursue you, God. Let the fire of your presence build in our hearts. Even now, come Holy Spirit. More of your presence here. Let that fire build in our hearts. Come again that we might partner with you, Lord to prophesy for the well-being of your people in the earth, for your church in the earth, Lord. And so now we're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit. So just as you we'll just wait and you'll start to feel the Holy Spirit begin to catch your attention.